This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, we were sitting at lunch. Jim Omohundra and myself, fine producer at Cardinals Underground here. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. We were talking about how we live in confusing times. Do we not? Danny Sarek, Darren Urban. And you're saying, okay, Pauly Podcast, narrow that down a little bit. Yeah, are we going back to UFOs here? No, uh, that was last week. That was so last week, Danny. Although, if you want me to go to the update desk, I will by the end of this edition. We weren't even talking about that or Live Golf and PGA combining forces or even LeBron going to Dallas with (laughs) Kyrie, okay? None of that. We're talking about this new mixed reality headset that Apple's coming out with. Did you see this? No. Before you can understand what this is all about, first you have to understand what is mixed reality versus virtual reality versus the soon-to-be-upcoming augmented reality. It's all very confusing. I have no idea. And I throw that out there. Not to talk about the new mixed reality headset. Who I'm looking here, it says... Well, wait, it, what is it? It's all about immersive entertainment where you can wrap yourself into your content. They're goggles. It's sort of like VR goggles. Okay. One big difference I'm told or I've read is that VR goggles, you can't see your surroundings. And the feedback from the human race is they don't like that. So these mixed reality goggles, headsets, you can actually see what's around you. But then there's also the screen as part of the headset. I'm not so going to lie. it's transparent. Yes. I was going to say, I'm pretty impressed that they got the entire human race as, as their... Uh, They're just saying humans in general didn't like the VR okay, goggles. All right. So these mixed reality headsets, you can see and hear and interact with digital content right in your physical space. You can immerse yourself in movies and sporting events eventually. So you can watch a Cardinals game and feel like you're right on the sideline, or maybe even right in the huddle. Ultimately, eventually, that's what this technology is going to be like. And what I thought was really cool is, like, for example, you could play back family movies, and all of a sudden you're transported back in time where you're with your kids when they were infants, your family movies in these mixed reality headsets. Yeah, that's not going to play with anybody's headspace. It's it's a mind blow, okay, in this whole thing. That's Um, just too much technology for me personally i feel like we spend so That's much what time like when you get old right you're watching like shut up we're watching a big screen and then you're holding a smaller screen and you're go- like i just i don't want to well it's funny when paul said you're you're immersed immersed in your technology and i'm thinking aren't we already immersed in our technology i'm like <laughs> yes, how much more much. immersed can we get and by the way they say you can use these mixed reality headsets danny to turn your tv your, your tv at home into basically basically a hundred foot like theater screen just Okay, that is pretty cool. <laughs> she changed her mind. Quickly. I mean, I'm not going to buy one because aren't they like no. five grand or something? 
they are now. They're about $3,500. And I read an article where it said mass adoption would start at under 1000 around $700 per set, which they say is four to five years away. So it'll oh, be- Oh, this a, isn't happening right now. It'll be a gradual easing into this technology. So maybe- It's, it, it's like when you see like how much a, a, des, a desktop computer costs like- $10,000 in 1981, and you're like, well, whatever. By the time Kyler Murray gets his next contract, we'll be fully immersed in the mixed reality headsets, and you'll be in the huddle with Kyler Murray on game day. Man. I don't know if I like the mixed reality <laughs> term. Like, yeah. it's either reality or it's not. Well, that's not everything good. is black and white, Darren. That's good, because my segue into Cardinals football was going to be the reality check that a lot of players are getting these days. For example, Zayvon Collins in his story about the eggs in the team meeting. Danny, you want to relay that to us? Well, I feel like Darren Chuck, I had to pop out and watch that one, but you guys were down there. I watched it, but you guys were live and you heard that that story. Yeah, Zavin was just talking. Somebody had asked Zavin uh, what he liked most about the changeover and least about the changeover, and he didn't really say this was a least or most, but he was talking about the very first day of meetings. He showed He showed up. Uh, literally for the first team meeting and he's eating a bowl of eggs or something, which is something apparently he did often when uh, Cliff Kingsbury was coaching and was finishing up breakfast as they went into the all-team meeting before they broke down. And uh, the next day when he showed up, don't know if he had eggs that day, uh, but when he showed up, his number was giant being flashed on the screen and he didn't know why that was. And he soon found out because Jonathan Gannon made note that Collins had been eating in a team meeting, which was a no-no, which Zavin and the rest of his teammates were just finding out and that, hey, why don't you just show up like 10 minutes early and finish those eggs before you come in here instead of being distracted by eating while we're trying to talk about football. That's right. Because if you're multitasking, then guess what? Your attention isn't 100% devoted to the task at hand. Your attention is divided. And then that becomes, okay discipline and focus matters in the NFL where little things are big things where most games are decided by a touchdown or less where one or two or three plays can decide the outcome of a game and where you had a Cardinals team last season correct me if I'm wrong all too often what did we hear every player took their turn making their one mistake different mistakes at different times by different players Was there indeed enough discipline? And so little things like this sort of create the vibe. Are the back is the backbone of the culture in some ways. You've definitely heard, and Zavin did it again yesterday, but a handful of players talking about the accountability now, and they don't go say they didn't have it before, but that's the implication. No doubt. There was Will Hernandez was talking about how He likes the energy and the young coaching staff, but at the same time, Will Hernandez cited, I'm looking forward exactly here, he said what's cool too is that the players are realizing that although they're your friends, they're still your coach, and you don't cross any lines just because maybe they're a lot younger. And so there is is sort of that learning curve, the players getting used to a coaching staff that, let's face it, doesn't have very many allegiances to very many players. Yeah, unless you're one of those handful of franchise players, the Kyla Murrays, the Buda Bakers, you know, the DJ Humphreys, there aren't that many that 
there's the potential for even more changes if there hasn't been enough this offseason. I mean, Danny, I think that's why a lot of these players seem to be pretty locked in in an offseason where you've seen teams that have already canceled their mandatory mini camps in anticipation, like the Jets, for example. Now, the Jets are in the Hall of Fame game, but I think the Eagles as well are going to curtail or just cut out their mandatory mini camp. That has not been the case with the Cardinals and Jonathan Gannon. Right. That's that's just what happens when you've got a, co- a coaching change. And so everybody is having to learn everything new. That was something that Colt McCoy talked about to the media this week, was that he's been in a lot of different systems. So he has seen a lot. And there's still a learning curve for him, for everybody, in understanding these nuances and how things are going to be different. And so even if you do have that experience, it's important for everybody to be able to get those reps and kind of make sure you're getting a feel for where things are. Now, there are veterans where, even though they might not physically have been here, are still watching film and they are still doing their workouts and they're probably still in the building we just don't see them Um, right there are veterans who have missed some of the OTAs and they haven't been there and I don't necessarily have a problem with that but I do think that's why it is important for people to be here throughout this portion of the offseason is with the coaching change there is no allegiance right like this coaching staff really only knows you from whatever film they've watched this is your chance to really showcase your skills, your work ethic, your communication, your study habits, all of that. This is the time to do that. I mean, unless you're a member of this year's draft class, the GM Monty Ford is at every OTA practice and he's watching, sort of incognito. You know, tall guy with a bucket hat and the sunglasses. Like, who is that? That is Monty. That is the GM, right? I mean, a few times I've had to double confirm exactly yeah. who that is. Although, one of those practices, he came over and talked to everybody. He so. did. He did. And But if you're a player, Darren, you tell me, you have to feel the presence of a new GM, a new set of eyes on you and your game. Yeah, I would would agree with that. Although, you know, to be honest, that's about where the GM usually is. I mean, Steve Keim was usually out at every practice, too. Um, But everything being new, you don't know. And we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. We don't know who's going to be in the lineup. We don't know who's going to be on the roster. Uh, you know, we don't know how this is going to play out. Zayvon Collins, we're talking to him about playing outside linebacker, and he said, well, to be honest, I don't know exactly what they're going to have me do yet. And I believe him. I don't. I, I think at this point, I think he's got an idea of what some things he might do, but I believe that he's not completely sure uh, exactly how this is going to turn out. And Jonathan Gannon even was talking about how the timeline in terms of lining up and picking starters might go deep into training camp like when the offensive line came up and he was like well I you know we may not make that choice until almost the regular season which is an interesting way to do it this is why tanking is not going to happen Darren's mailbag this week there were a bunch of questions was I which I don't know if that was random timing or you just collected them to kind of answer a couple at once but this is why teams like players and coaches don't tank Darren even touched about it in the mailbag that when head coach Jonathan Gannon has been asked about a quote rebuild Gannon doesn't even like that word and this is why the way we're talking about the players there's no allegiance to them and they're having to prove their value that's the same on the field the players aren't going to go and they're not going to tank for hoping to have 
a higher draft pick because, first of all, that's someone who's going to be competition to come and take their spot. And we've talked about over and over, mostly with contracts, that this is a business. And so the players are going to go out there and they're going to give it their all and they're not going to try to tank or take things lightly for next year's draft. And I think that all just kind of ties in with this conversation we're having now, even about practice and OTAs, is that you're having to go out there and, and prove why you should have a spot on this team when nobody in the front office or this coaching staff has an allegiance to the players that were here last year. Remember, Jonathan Gannon comes over from the Eagles. They went from a four-win team to Super Bowl 57 in a span of two years. And I, I saw a recent interview with Howie Roseman, Philadelphia Inquirer, I believe, and he talked about that very aspect of the rebuild. He made a couple of points. Number one, if you're fortunate he said you can get a high draft pick and and you can that will help accelerate the rebuild as opposed to finishing 7 and 10 and you get a mid first round pick he said for example he attributed their drafting of Lane Johnson and a franchise tackle to be key in rebuilding their their offensive line which has some similarities to the Cardinals and Paris Johnson Jr. but he also said to your point Danny that you can never ever stray from putting the focus on winning at all times at all costs, because you're otherwise you'll set the wrong culture, and it's impossible to reverse that sort of DNA in a locker room if winning isn't paramount above everything else. Absolutely. I do think, thinking back to last season, someone like Houston, the position they were in, I could maybe understand fans of, okay, they Houston won what, like three, two, three games, right? And you go and you win the final game. I could understand a fan sentiment of like, well, I wish we would have lost to have the number, right? Like, that I, I can see the fan side. Now, as someone who covers an NFL team and works for a team and understand, like that's never going to be the mindset in the building at all for anybody. But that would be the one circumstance where I could see fans of saying, oh, come on, let's just tank for higher draft pick. But where the Cardinals are now, not only their position, but this time of year, I don't, I kind of hate the, I, the talk about tanking and dueling yeah. all that because it's not even, it's, it's not, an option like that's not even a thought in anybody's mind in the building uh, here's the thing and you mentioned i mentioned i've talked to it in the mailbag i've addressed it on twitter in years past and everything i have no problem if fans want to be disappointed if you get late in the season and you want your team to lose for a better draft pick i have no problem with that where i have the issue is where they get pissed off that it happens or they say my team, in this case the Cardinals, or last year with the Texans, my team can't even lose right. That's what really irritates the hell out People of me. People already saying they don't want Kyler Murray to come back at all this year, even if he's healthy, just to tank? I mean, again, to tank for what? Again, right. like, that- again if, if, you're, if you're Kyler Murray, you know there's a, com- a, a an option out there to get another quarterback. Why would you want to... Why would you want to risk that when you could come back? I mean, it just so much of it doesn't make any sense. I un, again, I understand. And then, and then, what happens if you're you, you're the Browns and you end up with high picks every year and you still never get anywhere? Yep. Well, that's the thing is you can't completely change a team based on draft picks, right? So you want to have the right type of culture and the right type of exactly. players here, so you can be a desirable place to land free agents there's so much that I don't I'm sorry I think I completely derailed us going no. on this topic about tanking and basically no. no allegiance but well look 
to the, your podcast too, Danny. To Thank the point you. that Howie Roseman made, where you don't want to be that middling team that ends up somewhere, you know, between pick twelve and eighteen in the Trust first the round process. every year. Look at the Cardinals' first opponent, Washington. Yeah, that's where they've been for umpteen seasons. In fact, I saw a ridiculous stat because it's never too early to talk about your Week One opponent, right? Do you know that their Pro Bowl receiver Terry McLaurin has? played with 10 starting quarterbacks in his four years in Washington. That seems like a lot. <laughs> seems, but I it thought, also sounds like it makes sense. Sounds like between Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. Yes, it does. That's what it sounds like. Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. So Terry McLaurin is uh, making a run at Larry's record, whatever that was. Whatever the final quarterback count was in Larry's 17-year career. I think it was 21. McLaurin's off to a nice start. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) He's making a run at it at this point, so we'll see. uh, Again, you're right with, with... You're right to an extent with the commanders, right? Because... but But the stat you used yourself is probably what we're talking about. Like... If you dropped, I don't know, if you dropped Derek Carr in the middle of the Commanders, they would have a pretty good yep. team. Yep. If you dropped Dak Prescott on the yep. Commanders, they would have a pretty good team. Yeah. Well, already Ron Rivera this week has come out and said that, yeah, I said Sam Howell, the fifth-round rookie from last year, is QB1 to start the offseason. I didn't say to start the regular season because Jacoby Brissett came out and told the reporters, no. <laughs> I'm here to win the starting gig. And they gave him one year, $8 million, up to $10 million in Washington. So uh, I think it's plausible to believe that Jacoby Brissett will become starting quarterback number 11 for Terry McLaurin by the time Washington is done with this upcoming season. Because Howell's already started before, right? Week 18. Okay, so one start. So he already counts for McLaurin. So uh, now look, as for what we know about the Cardinals, I mean, let's let's talk about quarterback. Colt McCoy is going to be – the week one starter of Kyla Murray is not healthy enough to play, right? Do we believe that? I, I mean, do. Jacoby Brissett's not here, so. The fact that both of you had to think about that, or well, were you just waiting for each other to answer? I, no, I was thinking about the other quarterbacks, which would be Jeff Driscoll, David Blau, and Clayton Toon. Clayton Toon is not going to be your starter, no. which I know is what, pe- again, people want. They say, play all rookies, tank. He's not going to be your starter. I... I, I just don't – the reason I was thinking of the names is I, I, I don't think that Driscoll and Blau will be on the roster to start the season. You mean season. both of them? Right. Yeah, well, I would and so, assume one of them would. Right. So I don't – I mean, they, they brought in Jeff Driscoll, but maybe that was more so not knowing how healthy Colt, Colt was going to be. So that, that was kind of my question of why I was thinking in my head who uh, would the other quarterback yeah. be because I don't think they will both be here. So I would think it would be Colt McCoy over – most likely David Blau. Because even Cole himself told the media it's a pretty level playing field with a brand new offense. Everyone's learning whether you're the rookie or you're the 14-year veteran. You're all re- Now, Cole obviously has a competitive advantage of having seen and Quick aside been well-versed in every system. I'm glad you brought system. that up. Yeah. I was the one who asked him about, well, you know, you've been in so many offenses. Oh, is this really difficult? Is it me or did he look at me like, you bastard? <laughs> How dare you like make fun of my journeyman status? You're, 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 you're calling me old yeah. slash yes. Uh, yeah, I felt like well, just for a moment he looked at me. Yeah, yeah he looked at you. and He said, "I can see the words well traveled next to the name Colt McCoy in one of Darren's articles on azcardinals.com." You're right. That's 
But by the time he was done with the media, he uh, had everyone uh, laughing with him, right, on the whole dog story and, and the kids. And the upshot of it is that his uh, young kids, I'd say, what, the kid, there's three, there's two daughters and a son, if I remember, from Hard Knocks, and they're all between, like, age five and nine. Yeah. They're pretty young. And, uh, and his son has a heck of a baseball swing, by the way, just based on the little video we saw in the backyard. He's a budding baseball star based on what we saw there. But the kids have been asking for a dog, and Colt's policy is not until dad retires, hence no dog yet. Which is very smart. I I held the same, uh, I I think I said something like, no dog till I die, maybe? I think it was kind of how I... That's lame. Wow. Why is that lame? I love dogs. I didn't say you couldn't get a dog. I told my kids, if you move out, you can get a dog. Anyway, Paul, carry on. Colt and Darren Dang, Urban, like disciplinarians. They're, uh, you know, well, you want to know one of the reasons? Old school. I didn't want to take care of it. Well, you know what? That that was my dad's role, and we took care of the dog growing up. That was part of our chores. Did you really? Yes. I'm going to ask your dad next time Great. I see him. Great. You absolutely yeah. should ask him who the only one of his three daughters who would walk the dogs, bathe them, feed them, take them to the vet, the groomer. Ask him. I've been saved at Casa Calvisi, no dog, but my brother-in-law comes over quite often with his dog. So, you know, I sort of have a pinch-hitting dog that comes in to fill that role, you know. And, 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 and if I need to, you know, pay for someone, to, you know, a dog to come in, that's really what we should launch around here. Because if there's the quickest way to a million dollars, it's through pet owners. They will spend any amount of this money is that's on true. pets. So what if we had pets to own, pets to rent out? You know, I know there's sort of like those adoptive where you can have a pet for a week or a month you and like eventually... like a foster parent. Yeah, foster, yeah. But what if you just flat rent out a pet for a period of time to have have it, have it the house? I think that kind of... Cruel feel, and uncaring? Well, it just kind of feels yeah. like it's working against okay. the reason for having right. a pet, which is yeah, having that bond, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. All right. But yeah, the uh, little McCoy kids aren't getting a dog no, quite yet because no. Colt has decided to continue playing. So what else did we learn from Colt? Let's see. We learned that um, that what the Cardinals are running now, without getting into specifics, and he didn't with the media, just that he said it's very similar to the way that he's played most of his career. And he talked about huddling up, using cadence, mic points, more traditional offense, as opposed to 10 personnel, spreading the field and set a lot of signals last year so you know that's um so that you know a little bit of a tell not a shock not a surprise you can't get much more i don't want to use the word uh, air raid but in balance than than i I know craig grillo had a stat in the red sea report the cardinals threw the ball 62 percent of the time last year 38% 38% of the time they ran it. So when James Conner met the media and the question was, what do you like the most about this new offense? He said that we're going to run the ball a lot, quote unquote, was James Conner. So I'm fully Again, expecting a much more balanced attack. Depends on the status of the game. We yeah. shall see. Yeah. Darren's yeah. always here to bring you back well, down, Paul. And you're right. When you're a four-win team and you're trailing a lot of games, you're going to be throwing the ball more. I, I'll give you that. Or and you got to make sure if you're running it, I, I yeah. get it. But are you going to be able to run it? You know, is your what's your per carry average? How is that going to okay. generate? I, I'm glad you said that because I asked this question to James Conner for you at the end of his press conference, and it it was based on the following: Week 15 last year against Tampa, Trace McSorley is your starting quarterback, third stringer. Hang with me here, Danny. Hang with me. I just completely okay. forgot about that yeah. situation. So, yeah. okay. I'm Remember, ready. there was a stretch last season where the Cardinals yes, had four, four different starting quarterbacks in a four-week span. Yes. Thank you so, for that reminder. the Trace McSorley game, Christmas night against Tampa. Oh, yes. 
he throws it 45 times, whereas James Conner averaged 5.3 yards of a carry, yeah, that's true. but only got 15 carries. That was a pretty tight game. Very tight game. So, That's fair. Why were there three times as many pass attempts by Trace McSorley than rushing attempts by a Pro Bowl running back? I'm going to say Cliff Kingsbury was calling more passes. There was Week You're 17. Right. I'm moving on. There's Week 17 at Atlanta. David Blau, his first start since 2019. He threw it 40 times. James Conner averaged five yards a carry, yet only got, wait for it, 16 carries. I don't know much, but I know this much. That ain't happening this year. There will be much more balance and commitment to the run game. And I do like the eye of the tiger, not to go all 1980s, but I do like the eye of the tiger and James Conner again. It reminds me of 2021. Oh, I thought you were going to say it reminds you of you. In that <laughs> no, gonna... no, please, no. Nobody, nobody needs any reference to the Gunderson game or against Pioneer High School. We don't, we don't need any of that. I mean, they're still talking about what I did week one against Santa Teresa my junior year. But look, I'm talking about James Conner 2021 and – what he was all about on that one-year contract, James Conner. And he brought it. He fed it to dudes. He caught it. He finished it. He was physical with the football. Uh, you know, I don't do much with fantasy football anymore, but I, I would have James Conner on the radar. Sort of like I sent out a quick clip of Michael Wilson. It's amazing, all these fantasy football people who are all over receivers. Any sort of budding receiver that they think they can get late in the draft. Got crazy play from all these fantasy football experts and outlets on Twitter. That's just an aside. But, I mean, you guys tell me. When you, when you, when you hear what Will Hernandez says about how the run in the power, right? He was on with Wolf, and there's Wolf, you know. Like, oh, yeah. you know, the whole thing, and he's going all guttural, and Will Hernandez is talking about running the power. I just, uh, yes. I guess I'm preparing myself mentally for that sort of football this year. It, it, I, I am going to be fascinated to see, especially before Kyler comes back, what, what that kind of looks like. I mean, because what sort of choice do you have if Colt McCoy – is your quarterback. That's true. And Jonathan Gannon's motto, at least one of them so far, is adapt or die. Obviously, the offense is going to reflect the skill set of your quarterback. Yeah. And and you would figure that where the defense is going to be, if you can have a little bit of ball control offense, if you can pull that off, yeah. that would probably be helpful. No doubt. No doubt. So uh, I'm looking at what else Cole McCoy had to tell the media. You know, he was talking about uh, there are so far – there have been the fair share of mistakes because everything is new. And it, it's not only just a scheme and the X's and O's, but it's how they're going about it with the huddling and some of the audibling. Um, and so, you know, he said the mistakes are being made. Uh, they're correctable. But he said also players are getting used to the expectations of the coaches and just how the team practices, Yeah, which is different, right? Based on what we've seen. Colt was saying they have basically green and red days of some days are slower, more of a walkthrough going through everything, and then other days are, are high tempo, and, and you really want to put that to the test. Then you're obviously going and you're watching film in between and working through things. But I did think that was interesting, that it's not the same speed at which they're practicing every single day. They're being very intentional about how they are teaching and making sure the players are absorbing what this coaching staff wants from them. 
back. Greg Dorch uh, was very bullish on the new approach on the Big Red Rage, saying exactly that, Danny, that you know some of the high-tempo days versus the lower-tempo days, that the players really like that. And, and so I'm not exactly sure how to define that. I do know it's been a big hit in the locker room based on the little bit of player feedback we've had. All right, so knowns and unknowns. We're presuming Cole McCoy is going to be your week one starter unless there's some sort of miraculous recovery by Kyler Murray. And it could happen. Look at Brees Hall. I saw Brees Hall, the Iowa State running back last year's rookie year. Week seven blew out his ACL. He's already back. Full speed for the Jets. They said they clocked him at 22 miles per hour in Jets OTAs the other day. I mean, That's he's, pretty good. he's looked phenomenal. So you know, Almost as p- fast as Darren. Every... <laughs> I've seen you play pickup basketball, Darren. Yeah, and no. you did not see that. I can. Darren's tell you. acceleration is at its utmost when he's getting from the practice field to his front row seat for the press conference. <laughs> he can move now. He can move. There's no doubt about that. So Colt McCoy, okay. Now you're going to take issue with this. I'm waiting for it, but I'm already going to tell you. Oh, I think four of the five components in the offensive line are known. You're starting set. to are you are you set. not just players but positions. What Jonathan Gannon told the media that it's going to go late into training camp, the offensive line, uh, that's gamesmanship. I'm here to tell I'm you. I'm here to disagree with you, but let's let's DJ hear it. I'm here to write it down so I can tell him. Here you go. Later, What's today's date? June sixth. DJ Humphrey's left tackle. Okay. Paris Johnson Jr. right tackle. Okay. Will Hernandez right guard. Okay. Yelda Froholt starting center. Okay. And I got about five guys competing for left guard. Wow. Okay. So the, the last piece is not center. No. Wow. Yelda Froholt. Interesting. Starting if center. Things, if things were as they stand right now, surprisingly, I don't entirely disagree with you, Paul. The one that I would still feel iffy on is Will Hernandez. As I don't know if he's your left guard. I don't, I don't really know what you're doing at this other guard position if you're going to move Josh Jones inside or do you want to keep him moving as – a swing tackle because here's the deal if you're going to keep Kelvin Beecham but he's not going to be your starting right tackle are you going to keep Beecham as your swing tackle and if so do you want him and Josh Jones if this coaching staff agrees with the previous regime that Josh Jones might be your future left tackle which I don't think is the case anymore after drafting Paris Johnson Jr. I think when that point comes Johnson will move over what are you doing with Josh Jones is he sticking at tackle are you going to fit him inside a guard that's kind of where I I'm not really sure. Maybe they like Josh Jones and they want him inside and he's your left guard. Um, but I, I would agree. I think at this point, I think from what we have at least seen in you know, the practices that it looks like Paris Johnson Jr., they're, they're primarily practicing him on the right side. Although, to be fair, Kelvin Beecham just showed up to yes. voluntary work this week. We saw one practice with him. It was his first day back. So we don't even know how much they'd be willing to let him do at this point. So, I, I, Right, but I, at the same time, DJ Humphreys has not been. Also true. Right? I, I mean, look, I would tend to think that Paul might not be way off base here. Hey, Paul. I was up for a back and, and a compliment. And, and, and I could be dead wrong from this aspect. How many years did A.Q. Shipley have competition at center he was going to be supplanted by the Mason Coles of the world. And then within a week into training camp, the coach staff said, nope, not even close. A.Q. Shipley's our starting center. Could that happen with Kelvin Beecham at right tackle? It could. It's possible. It's plausible. But Paris Johnson's the number six pick overall. He's the first Ohio State 
offensive lineman to go that high, at least to tackle since Orlando's stinking pace. I mean, for me, we can talk all about what might happen this season, but if there was ever a year to throw some rookies into the deep end and just yep. let them get the experience, this is the year. Yep, and, and it's been a trend. You, you saw what Seattle did with two rookie tackles last year. You saw what the Giants did with Evan Neal, the rookie right tackle last year, pairing up with Andrew Thomas. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's been a trend. What if someone like a John Games really shines yeah. at your guard spot Maybe. and where he feels comfortable, okay. you move Will Hernandez because Hernandez already has that experience both on the left and right side. Okay, that's, that's a good point, Danny. So that means I'm now up to seven candidates for left guard. And John, you have, you have Lasita Smith go. still working at Wait, center? that's eight. That's eight. Hang on. Let's see to Smith. Okay, so here we go. Uh, my candidates <laughs> for left guard, it's an eight-man competition in a numerical order. 54, Lasita Smith. 59, Johns Gaines. 65, Elijah Wilkinson, a seven-year vet who uh, has been getting some reps. I'm going to throw Kelvin Beecham in at left guard. He always says, you know, I mean, he's not like Yelda Froholt, the Danish army knife. But he just talks about how he has the ability to play left side and interior. So I'll throw him in there. Uh, Dennis Daly, a five-year vet. And he's been getting reps in what we've been able to see. Lechavius Simmons, a two-year vet. He's been getting a lot of reps. Marquise Hayes, who was a bit of a phenom in camp last year, a day three pick last year, who then got injured at the end of camp. He was good for a fight every other day of training camp last year. And then Josh Jones. That's eight. So, honestly, and Cole brought this up on his own with the media, that the offensive line has looked pretty dang good for this point in the season. So I think people might be sleeping on the O-line a little bit. I think the O-line might be a little underrated. How? how Whereas the D-line, I, I'm a little more concerned than perhaps I was before OTA started. I'm not sure they don't know, need to be fortified in the D-line room. I'm not going to disagree there, yeah. but, but and all due respect to Cole, like, how do you know the – offensive line is good right True. now you yeah. can't block you don't have it. your whole offensive line either i get it i mean like literally you're not yeah. allowed to play but football. but you know right paul now. i do like that idea of possibly having calvin beecham play guard at one of those spots again i think this obviously you don't base everything around this i think a big question mark is what does this coaching staff see out of josh jones i think that's a real wild card of what do you see from him now and where he fits in and as he's entering his fourth year, where do you see him fitting in the future? Is yep. this someone that you're going to want to have around? Um, maybe no longer as that left tackle, but do you see him as your future right tackle, right? Like, are you going to want to keep him and have him swing and you want to keep developing him this year? Or is that not what you see him? I think that's a, a pretty big wild card when you're trying to think about strengthening this offensive line for the long haul of where does he fit in and what do you need him to be working on this year? Because if you're asking me, how did the Cardinals defy expectations and over-deliver this coming season? I, I would say the quickest path to more wins than the experts are expecting would be if you had a stout offensive line. If you had a stout offensive line, all of a sudden your weapons look that much better. Yeah. You know, you can have all the talent you want at skill and running back, you know, at receiver and running back. If you don't have the offensive line, look at the Rams last year. The offensive line imploded between injury and the loss of Andrew Whitworth, the franchise left tackle. They couldn't do anything in a five-win season. And that's why I'm not a believer in the Rams this year. I don't think they fixed the offensive line. So you can give me the Cooper Cup and all that other stuff all you want. 
But if Matthew Stafford isn't protected sufficiently and they can't run the ball, they don't have a stout offensive line. So that's uh, then again, you know, if you can't stop the run, that can get real demoralizing and can be a, a real liability real quick. So I am curious to see, which is another reason why, and I talked about this with Kyle Vandenbosch and Craig Grillo on the Red Sea Report, is that, you know, for those who are expecting Jonathan Gannon to use a 4 3, and he talked about this a little bit on the Pash Pod, well, that, that was Philadelphia. That was adapt or die. That's. Where you have Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and Brandon Grant, I mean, you're you're loaded in Philly. That's not the on case on the defensive line. On the defensive line, yes. that's not the case with this Cardinals team. No. So why go four three? Who are the four? As Kyle Vandenbosch said, I think that's a great point. I don't think it means that that's not the goal, and maybe that's not what yep. is the you know the main focus next offseason. I would think the reason maybe it doesn't seem like they will play 4-3 as much as a lot of us had expected from Gannon and Rollis's coaching experience, some of the free agents they brought in really at that linebacker spot mostly. I think it is that adaptability and adapting to the strengths and weaknesses of this defense. And if you look, your safety position, Isaiah Simmons, Jalen Thompson, Buda Baker, that's a lot stronger than what you have on the defensive line. I think you like the linebackers you've brought in, Josh Woods, Kaiser White, wherever you're going to move around Zaven Collins. I think there are other parts of this, of this defense that are stronger, which is probably why we won't see as much 4-3 as we were expecting because that defensive line is not the strength of this defense. If you gave me one position group that still there might be a veteran signed or two before training camp, I would say that. And I would say tight end. You know, there's been more mention of running 11 and 12. I think it was uh, Colt actually said it, and there have been other players uh, after the OTAs who have talked about the multiple tight end sets. I just, I mean, I'm looking at this Craig Grealu position group breakdown here that, uh, that I printed off. I appreciate this. Uh, so, Zach Ertz. Have we heard anything on Zach, by the way? We haven't heard anything. I had asked Jonathan Gannon uh, maybe a week or two ago, and there was no real expectation. He well. like, yeah. Maybe, I guess, by training camp, you would think, I just mean, on the timing of the injury, it was October last year's I know, ACL. I know Zach said earlier in the offseason that his plan was to be ready for week one. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. and they, did, they do have a couple undrafted guys at the position that they have that could be intriguing. Yeah, after Trey McBride. You have Chris Pierce, Bernard Sykovitz, the international player, Noah Tangiai, free agent, who come came over from Philly, I believe. Correct. And then the two undrafted rookies, Joel Hunterford and Blake Whitehart. Yeah. So uh, there's some unproven names right there. Let's just put it that way. Once you get past Zach Ertz and, and Trey I, McBride, well, there's I, a lot I, of unknowns. I think Trey McBride is still completely unproven. Yeah. So between that and then they fortified the cornerback room a little bit this week with a couple of free agent signings, a couple of guys with size, 6'1 and 6'3", respectively. We'll see. A lot of teams wait until that first week of camp to get an eye, you know, get them in full pads and then sort of make a determination from there. We'll see about that. But, yeah, I would say between tight end and D-line, that would be an area. Now, to come full circle on the Zayvon Collins, you know, it's interesting to hear him talk. And, and we were talking about this, just the position itself with Kyle Vandenbosch, former edge rusher, three-time Pro Bowler, right? Beyond the coordinators, Nick Rollis, Drew Petzing, and then special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers, if you gave me a potential VIP, MVP, 
of assistant coaches this season, I think it's tracking to be Rob Rodriguez, the outside linebackers coach. Look at the collection of talent he has, just how different each one of these players is. From a Zayvon Collins at 6'4", 260, making the transition from inside linebacker, to a Dennis Gardak, six-foot Tasmanian devil, <laughs> right? And I like the Gardak explanation of how he's tried to evolve this offseason as a pass rusher, saying, you know, in the past, he would just come off the ball and bring all the athleticism and fury he could and then sort of go from there, <laughs> right? I mean... Now he said, no, no, I'm coming with a game plan. I have moves in mind. I have counter moves in mind. You know, And then if I have to go into crazy athletic mode, then, then I still have that ability. Amai J. Sanders, who the comp last year with the, with the coaching staff that I talked to, they always likened him to a Leonard Floyd in terms of body okay. type, right. which I thought was interesting. A little lan- lanky. Yeah. Uh, you know, B.J. Ojolari who is a rookie, so Rob Rodriguez, you always have, you know, your your money, you know, your work cut out for you if if a rookie's coming in and expectations, especially high second rounder. A Cameron Thomas, who arguably is more of a five technique than he is an edge guy or outside linebacker. We've I just think say, it's, we've it, been saying that for two years yeah. though, and and he's still where he is. I get it. I'm just saying it's a unique collection of talent. Yeah, that's true. And then when you combine that with the fact everybody now that 18 of your 36 sacks a year ago walked out the door in the form of J.J. Watt and Zach Allen, guess what? That's a really important position room on this team right now. Quarterback and get to the quarterback. Those are the primary objectives in the NFL. So I just I, I think all eyes are on Rob Rodriguez and what he is able to do, and we saw him working a little bit extra with a Zayvon Collins. I was just going to say, it's a lot of one-on-one work with Zayvon Collins, and that's kind of what we've seen throughout OTAs, not just with... Collins but with a lot of other different positions and we don't really have an exact reason behind that I think we can all conclude from context clues it seems like each respective position group it is the leader of of that position group that seems to be getting maybe during special teams or things like that a lot of that extra one-on-one attention from their coach of really making sure they are understanding their role and and the roles of those around them We'll see. Zayvon Collins, when it gets to the O-line, D-line, full pads, first week of camp, what do you think? Zayvon Collins against Paris Johnson Jr.? You know, there's always some of those heavyweight matchups that you anticipate. We'll be there for uh, to take some iPhone video on that, I would think. <laughs> uh, by the way, who was there at the D-backs game? Did any one of us attend with the rookies? Did you go? I was Darren. there, yes. yes. Oh, that's right. You, I saw your selfie, yes, yeah, with, so with the players in the background. That's right, yes. okay. So do tell. How was now we only saw the side angle shot of Paris Johnson throwing out the first pitch. Did he bounce it? Was it a no. bounce pass to the plate? No. I think the catcher had to like leave his feet just a little bit. Okay. But he didn't bounce it and that was a big thing for somebody who had never played baseball since T-ball and hadn't practiced until like 30 minutes before they got on the bus to go over to the stadium. <laughs> so good. he was feeling pretty confident yeah. Yeah. that it it worked out just fine. But it was it, it is good. I mean, I I felt like uh, the team. I mean, Paris Johnson was going to get a jersey anyways. He was throwing out the first pitch, but the team made sure that every single one of the rookies got a personalized Diamondbacks jersey. Wow, that's well uh, done by the D backs. Well, I know the Cardinals. Made oh, the sure Cardinals that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. All due respect to the D backs, uh, <laughs> okay. they, they weren't handing right. out twenty jerseys. Yeah, that's true. But the dime, uh, but I the, gotcha. the Cardinals made sure that everybody else got one, including. Paris. Well, Paris was going to yeah, get one. That's true, because it's a huge group, because even yeah, the undrafted rookies were there. Yes. yes. So okay. it was about 20 guys. Gotcha. And uh, so I thought that was a great start. The, the looks on their faces when they all got a jersey was a pretty 
nice deal. And then uh, watching Paris get out there, Keytrail Clark was trying hard to become apparently a contact a content intern. He's taking photos taking from our team photographer, Caitlin's oh. camera, and he was taking some pictures himself. Oh, and, okay. ta- and he grabbed the video camera at one point, was doing a bunch of that stuff. So I, the thing about it was, and one of the, it's the most I've been able to spend time with the rookies and talk to, I talked to a handful of them for stories, a couple of them for stories coming up. But I, I know that every year you try and say, okay, we're, we're looking for good people as well as good players, blah, blah, blah. They, this group is... A very intelligent group. They're all well spoken. Uh, they have their heads in the right places. Do- doesn't matter if they're the undrafted guys or some of these drafted guys. Um, and I've I've just been very impressed with this group uh, on a personal level. Now we'll find out if they can play because obviously that still is the most important thing. Um, but they're the right guys you want in the locker room and, and leading this team going forward. It was funny. Paris had said to me. When we first got here, we're all staying in the same hotel, but it was basically 20 guys in the same hotel, but we're all on our own. And now we're to the point where we're all really bonding together. As not only as a big group, but there's a there's a handful of smaller groups that have emerged. And Paris said he's already got three or four guys. And it could end up being more, but he's already got three or four guys that he sees being lifelong friends at this point. I know he'd said he was, when I did the Game On episode with him, that John Gaines, the two of them have become really close. And what's cool is... There's going to be a lot of opportunities to see the video behind the scenes of the Diamondbacks game where the rookies were there and a whole bunch of other stuff from the rookies of rookie minicamp, how they've been doing in OTAs, Paris Johnson's arrival to Arizona. That's all going to be shown in detail in the latest episode of Flight Plan, which drops Thursday, which will be June 8th at 7 p.m. Arizona time on official YouTube channel, website, Twitter, all those good places, so be sure to check out the latest episode of Flight Plan for behind the scenes on what the rookies have been up to the last couple weeks. And in addition to all that, there's going to be more of the war room footage, right? Money out support so. in action. Yeah. Get to know, I think, Michael Wilson a little more, some one-on-one interactions there. It's going to be a lot of good stuff in this episode. Well, speaking of Michael Wilson, that's a, that's another that's a story I'm working on, too, and I had a chance. He trained with T.J. Hushmanzada, the former Bengals receiver, who was a fantastic interview. And uh, so that story is also coming out later for me, too. Both Stanford guys, right? Who's that? Hushmanzada. Hushmanzada. Oh, no, Oregon State. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon State, State. That's right. I knew it was Pac-12. So, okay, that's interesting. And then you have a Jonathan Gannon. That's already posted. Mega story that's out. 3,000 words, baby. Darren, how wow. long is that going to take me to read? See, I that, she just so, she, that's like a softball. I could right. turn on that right yeah. now, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I've been Fair. working working on a big Jonathan Gannon story, uh, kind of like a, a who he is type of thing uh, that's posted on the website right now. So hopefully everybody checks that out. How amenable was he to, uh, you know, sort of a really a deep dive? I think he was real. I mean, I had a fantastic conversation with him. I mean, I talked to a number of other people, uh, too. But um, look, I loved Cliff and I did a similar story about Cliff and Cliff. Cliff did not want to talk about some stuff. And when I went back to him, when I found out some stories from other people, went back and he wasn't mad, but he was just kind of like surprised I'd found some stuff out. And I don't know if he loved that. Uh, I'm guessing no. (laughs) I brought up a couple of things that I don't know if John, JG thought I was going to get. And I brought him up to him and he just kind of smiled and he he rolled with it. So it it, it was it's a good story. I I think you, you get to know a little bit more about who he is and the kind of person he is. And, you know, again, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a bunch of games as him as coach, 
but it gives you an idea of who the coach is. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's uh, I, I, Those are two things I have to do this week. The Dave Pash podcast, where you can hear uh, Jonathan Gannon, and then Darren Urban's feature story, azcardinals.com, where you can read all about the head coach. Because there's no doubt his stamp. And you watch Flight Plan too, Paul. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there you go. That Once again, we've come full circle. Mixed reality, multimedia, all this different content. <laughs> You're if, the best, Paul. If only I had one of these new, you know, mixed reality headsets, I could consume it all at once. All three. I could have the visuals, I could have the audio, and I could have the print. I feel like if we talked to our boss, Tim Delaney, he would for sure let us expense one. <laughs> sure. For <laughs> sure. For sure. I like it. That's true. She said. You know what? I feel like we should ask for forgiveness and not permission. Yeah. I think, Danny, what you should do is expense it first and ask permission second. That's what I think you should do. Okay. Yeah. We'll do I'm that. convinced. All right. Let us know next time on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office automation how that went for you and i do mean for you your name will be on the expense report let's fill in the blank right now (laughs) 